awesome. That's the first temptation in Genesis is to question, did God really say? To question his promises. God promised everything to them, didn't he? You know, it's everything they needed was provided for. But the enemy comes in and says, did God really mean that? Did God really promise that to you? Is God really going to come through in this situation in your life? That's the, that's the heart of temptation, is doubting that God really has our best at heart. So many promises in the word. We've got to fix ourselves in the word. We've got to just ground ourselves in God's promises. He doesn't change, you guys. He doesn't forget. He doesn't grow tired. He doesn't give up on us. His promises are true. Every promise is yes and amen. Every promise will come to pass. I love that song. We're going to do it again, aren't we? At the end, can we do it again at the end? All right, friends, good morning to you, those of you that are here and those of you that are in Facebook land. These are such interesting times. You know, I never would have thought I would see, see the day when just all of, like, the stores are empty and people are buying. Like, I was at Sam's yesterday. We actually needed toilet paper. This wasn't a panic. We, we honestly needed it. Meg's like, we have two rolls left. I was like, baby, there's not going to be. I was at Target, and the, there wasn't even a speck of dust on the aisle. You know, normally on empty aisles, you see, like, other things, random things put there. There was nothing. It's like people ran through and just grabbed whatever they saw in sight, thinking it was toilet paper, you know? Somebody grabbed a hairbrush, and they're in for a big surprise. <laughs> you know, there's, there's nothing on the aisle. So we go to, I mean, Sam's getting stuff, and... You know, I'm like, I'm not even going to bother going back to look there because it's just going to be tumbleweeds rolling by, <laughs> nothing. And for some reason, I'm looking around, I was like, every person in, this, in these lines, and there's 20 people in each line, everybody has toilet paper. Like, where are they getting this? I'm like, another, another cart pulls up, and this dude has two stacks of It's like, hmm, there's a secret stash somewhere. And like, Meg will, Meg, Meg will be happy if I come home with us. I go back. And I kid you not, there's a, there are pallets, you know, the pa- like the unloading pallets. There are like eight pallets about 10 feet high of toilet paper. And there was a line of people just pulling one off after the next. And of course, I was one in the line, and I did pull one off. <laughs> you know, but like, it's, I'd, I've, never, I've never seen this. These are interesting times. You know, but the people of God and the world has always been through things like this. And this is nothing new for, for God. And this is a good opportunity just for, uh, for our church to learn to be the church during times of disruption. You know, because this is relatively mild, you know, um, as, as far as global crises go. It can and honestly will get a lot worse in the future. You know, and we have to learn to be the body of Christ. And the body of Christ around the world, many of our brothers in, place, in persecuted countries, this is normal for them. You know, they're used to, to, to sort of being on the fringe and learning how, to, you know, how do we adapt to, to uncertain situations. So this is good. It stretches us. It challenges us. It pulls our attention. And honestly, it's good, for, it's good for the unchurched too because it, it points people to the uncertainty of life. And it points people to the vulnerability and the frailty of the world around them. And that's a good place to be. Because the enemy of the gospel is often comfort. And if people get to a place of discomfort and uncertainty and even fear, 
that's often a good wake-up call to the heart, and the Lord can use that in incredible ways to get, in the days after 9-11, the, day after, the Sunday after 9-11, the blocks, the, the churches of New York City, there were people lined up around the blocks to get into the churches of New York City in the days after 9-11. It's an incredible opportunity. Even if it gets worse, it's an incredible opportunity because the kingdom is going to go forth. So, um, yeah, so all that to say is that, look, we're, we're just, we're going to be prayerful, um, we're going to be, you know, cautious and vigilant and just asking the right questions. I don't, I don't know what next week is going to look like. We, we might very likely um, may not be meeting together necessarily on a Wednesday or the next Sunday. We're just going to have to play it by ear, see what, see what, see what the Lord is saying, see what um, our, 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 um, you know, our neighbors and our government are thinking as well. We're going to be flexible. But right now we're here and we're going to study the word together and we're going to press in. Um, 28 days of prayer. I didn't, I didn't do announcements, but that's okay. The biggest announcement is please give. Don't forget to give, right? So those of you that are on Facebook, you, it's easy if you're on Facebook. You just need to open a new tab. You can do it right now. You can do it, can do it right now. I feel like those televangelists like, so into the ministry, friend, right now. <laughs> open up a new tab and go to kingschurch.net slash give, and you can give electronically there or you can text. You know? So even if we're not gathering together, we still... We still, you know, have, have expenses and things like that to pay for. So give faithfully to that as well. We are, this is halfway through 28 days of prayer. We have made it halfway. And there's crickets. That's some, for some of you, that's like, that's awesome. And the others are like, only halfway. Can we please quit now? <laughs> we are halfway through. So um, we, have, we have 14 days left. It's going to be exciting. Uh, those of you that are, that are fasting, Press in, push in. This has been a wild kind of week. I know it's easy to get distracted from the task at hand. It's easy to say, oh, to heck with this. Forget this. I've got to focus on more toilet paper and taking care of my kids or whatever I'm going to do. Don't give up. Don't quit. You know, God, God knows that this was going to happen before he called us to, to four weeks of fasting. I think there's, there's some correlations between all of these things for our church family. So press in all the more. This is all the more reason for us to fast. We're going to look at this today. We are in part, uh, part two, I guess part three, part two, whatever it is, um, looking at a series called The Door. Last week we, we talked about this idea of the door of God's presence being wide open. Through prayer and fasting, the door of a greater measure, a greater awareness of God's presence can be open. We talked to, and we, what, I, what I suggest, and I still believe this, is if there's nothing else that we can sort of gather from times of prayer and fasting, if no other doors are opened, if no door of deliverance is open, no door of provision, none of these other doors are open except the door of more of God's presence, that's enough. Because we, if we have that, we have everything. You know, just like the, 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 the people in, in, in Exodus, they, they had the presence and they had it all. And there are times where they didn't have the presence and it all kind of, kind of fell apart and, and collapsed underneath them. So uh, part two, deliverance, the door to deliverance. Deliverance is, it's, it's often a lost ministry in churches. Anybody ever been a part of a deliverance ministry? And I, when I say deliverance ministry in a church, I mean something very specific. I'm referring to sort of um, demonic deliverance, those kind of things. Marcy, I know you have. Anyone else? Ron, yeah, so, several others have been a part of that. It tends to be a lost um, ministry of the church and I think one of the reasons that, that it's lost is because we can't fake it. We can fake a lot of things in church. You know, we can fake gr doing great worship. We can fake preaching a, a, a heartwarming sermon. We can fake 
you know, good children's ministry or teen ministry that really gets people motivated. Um, you know, we can even, even you know, give a, a stirring invitation and baptize people in, but it's really hard to fake sort of supernatural deliverance, right? Because it's, it's like, it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those miracle things, like when it happens, you know it. Um, but I think there's something about prayer and fasting that opens up a door of power for deliverance in our own lives and also in our church. So let me give you a quick definition of what I mean by deliverance, because it, it, it means several things. But in, in this regard, it means um, deliverance is it, it's the freedom that we desire but can't attain ourselves. The freedom that we want, the freedom that we desire, and that, that requires sort of three components. It requires an awareness of the condition. You know, somebody, somebody can't really desire, if, they don't, if they're not aware that they need deliverance, that's a hard place to, to, to be because, you know, if you, don't, if you don't know about it and you're not really aware of it, um, there's really not a lot, not a lot you can do. Uh, so there's an awareness condition. There's a, there's a desire for freedom, but there's also a helplessness to bring about change. And it's in those situations where prayer and fasting can help break open this door to supernatural deliverance. You guys with me? Okay, so what do we need deliverance from? I'm taking my glasses off so I can, I can read this. One day I'm going to get bifocals, and I can do both. It's like I'm moving into like 1700s technology very soon, thanks to Benjamin Franklin. Not yet. I'm refusing, I'm refusing that yet. What do we need deliverance from? So scripturally, we pray and fast for both personal deliverance and corporate deliverance. And it's really awesome. I'll talk about this in the fourth point. Um, but it's really awesome that today is, of all days, a national day of prayer. You know, and it's just, it's a, it's a call for this corporate prayer, corporate fasting for God to bring deliverance, not just to an individual's heart, but to a nation as well. And that's what we pray for. But let me give you four, um, sort of four things that we need Scripturally, four things that we can pray and fast for to be delivered from. The first of those is habitual sin. Habitual sin. Being delivered from habitual sin is not the same thing of being forgiven of sin. There's, and scripturally, there's a difference of those two things. We can be forgiven of sin, but still be bound up in that habit of it. Anybody know, anybody know what I mean by that? Right? Um, so let me, let me read a couple things here. Even when we're forgiven, sin can have a, an habitual hold on an individual's life. And many of us know from experience what that's like. You know, whether those are sexual sins or drinking or, uh, you know, uh, uh, just, you know, shopping, over shopping or, or whatever it is, you know, um, temper, all those kind of things. We can be forgiven of those, but those sins can still be, have this habitual hold on our life. John 8 34, pull this up here. It says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave. Y'all say slave, slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We're chained up, we're bound by it. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So he's making a contrast, slaves and sons. What are we? We're sons, we're set free. So if, you guys know this verse, if the Son sets you free, then what? You will be free indeed. You will be free to the fullest if the Son sets you free. 
And there's this old story that's been circulating around for a number of years about elephants, how they used to train elephants, like circus elephants especially. You guys ever heard this story? Like, you know, when you get an elephant, what do we do? We get, we've been watching Dumbo at the house, you know, uh, the, the new one. It's a really, it's a cool. So you got this, this baby elephant that comes in. How do we train this elephant to stay here and then not go tearing off down Main Street? Well, you put a little anklet around with a chain and you chain it to a stake in the ground or you chain it to where it's supposed to be. And, you know, as the baby gets older, you make a little bit of a larger thing around its foot. And, you know, eventually that elephant learns this is where I got to stay. I can't move anywhere else. And he doesn't really try to pull on the chain anymore because he knows it's fruitless. And eventually you have this, you know, two-ton elephant with this small, you know, small metal chain and a stake in the ground that elephant has full capacity to yank that stupid thing out of the ground and run away. But he doesn't realize it. Because in his mind, he's always been in bondage to this thing on the ground. Romans 8.15, pull this one up. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again. There's that word. We did not receive a spirit that makes us slaves again to fear. But you received a spirit of sonship. And by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So there's something about habitual sin that keeps us in a slave kind of a mindset. Sons are not meant to walk in habitual addictive sin. We're not meant to do that. You know, there was this, there was this, there was this popular song in Christian radio back in the 90s. And the song, I don't even remember who it was or what the title was. But the, the verse was something like, I fall down, I get back up. I fall down, I get back up. I fall down. And it was sort of this like, you know, uh, this this testimony to this life of struggle and failure all the time. And it was a testament to God's grace, which is good. God is gracious. He does forgive. He does help us to get back up again. But he also says, son, you don't have to keep falling down all the time, right? And there's something about prayer and fasting that can break that cycle of habitual. I've seen in my own life, I've seen how fasting has just broken something in a, in a moment that for years was just sort of this constant struggle of the willpower. And fasting comes in and just breaks it because we're not meant to live that way. I love the old hymn, uh, John, uh, Charles Wesley's song, he, uh, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. Remember this? Those of you that grew up with hymns, maybe some of you did, you know, verse 2 says this, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. In other words, there's a, the, the, the sin in our own life has been canceled. It's been atoned for. We've been forgiven of it, but it still has this power over us. We keep returning to it. You know, so the, the beauty of the gospel is not just being forgiven of sin, but being delivered from its power in our life. You know, so those of us that have struggled with, with habitual sin and God has broken that, we can stand up and say, yes, this is truth. God's power can do it. And if, you know, for those of us that maybe are still in this place of, of just wrestling with habitual sin, you need to know the gospel has the power to do that. And prayer and fasting is one of the, one of the ways that we can press in and say, God, deliver me from myself. Because there have been a lot of times I need to be delivered from myself, Right? So that's, that's the first thing. That's the first thing that this door can open. You know, the door of deliverance is deliverance from habitual. I want to encourage you to press into that. If, if there's something you're, you're struggling with in your own life, begin to say, God, this week break it. Break this power. I don't care how long it's been hampering you. It makes no difference. doesn't matter how long you may have struggled with an addiction. God's power can break it in a moment. 
So if that's where you are, press into that and say, God, let this be the week where you are, where I am fully free indeed in you. And watch God do some, do some wonders in your life. So that's the first is habitual sin. The second thing that we pray and we fast for deliverance from is from spiritual oppression. Spiritual oppression. This has been a big one at our church in the last year. Um, you leaders, you know what I'm talking about. We've been fighting in the spiritual for a while here, you know. And some of us have sensed it when we walk into parts of the building. We sense that there is something here. And this idea of spiritual oppression, it, is, it, it, it's, it confronts our Western rational mindset. Honestly, how many of us have a hard time thinking that there is, you know, there's, there's demonic influence involved in our life on a daily basis? Anybody have a hard time because of your, of your rational mindset? I do. I'll admit it. I'm the only one raised. That's okay. I don't mind. I have a hard time with that because I want to rationalize everything. I have a, I have a reason for why, why, why these things are happening. You know, it must be my mind. It must be my mood. My blood sugar's low. It's somebody else's fault. It's this. It's this. And I sometimes stop and I... You know, according to Scripture, there is an enemy out there who wants to oppress you and I. That's truth. There is an enemy who wants nothing more than to discourage and to oppress you every day. When you wake up, there's an enemy who is ready to come at you and to just destroy your confidence in your faith today. And he's going to chase you around like a rabid dog nipping at your heels time and time and time again. And you're going to turn around. He's probably going to hide in a corner because he doesn't want you to know he's there. He's going to keep coming at you. There is a reality of about spiritual oppression. There is, there, there, there is there's a counterfeit kingdom out there that is pressing in on us all the time. All right, let's read this. Mark 9. This is a, this is a great story. Um, I want to... Uh, yeah, it's, I don't have it here. Let me pull it up. It may be up there, but I can't see that anyway. Uh, all right, so Mark 9, this is the best. Jesus is ministering to people, doing what he does best. And um, 9 verse 14, maybe we're there. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. So Jesus shows up. They've come down from the Mount of Transfiguration is what we call it. They were up there spending some time with the Father praying. Jesus is manifest in this incredible way. You know, these two other prophets show up, and, you know, the disciples are in awe of that. And they come down. All, when they get down, there's this crowd and these teachers of the law arguing with one another, bickering and fighting. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. He's like, what's going on? What are you guys doing? A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Stop right there. Pay attention to that. The demonic has great implication in the physical. The spiritual impacts the natural. Amen? He has a, de he has a, a demonic spirit inside of him that is, that is causing something physical to happen, or in this case, to not happen as it should. Whenever it seizes him, the father says, it throws him to the ground. It, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Modern psychologists and psychiatrists and doctors say, well, sim he's simply epileptic. He's having an epileptic seizure. But in this case, there's something else going on. Maybe there's something else going on today and things that we think are simply 
physical, and they're not. I asked, listen to this, I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. Come on. That hurts. This guy has good faith, you know. This dad has good faith. He's going to believe that these ones who have been next to Jesus all this time, maybe they've got the same power that Jesus does. And he says, guys, look, Jesus is up somewhere else. Can, can you help me with my son? And they apparently tried it, and it didn't work. That's a hard place to be in. It's a hard place when we step out in faith, and we see this is just not happening. You know, whenever we're, we're trying to minister to someone, whenever we're trying to pray for healing for someone, and it's just not working. You know, we got the faith for it. Jesus told us to do it. I saw Jesus do it. Why can't I do it? I pray on, I pray in faith, and this miracle is just not manifesting in the way that I want it to. That's demoralizing. It's discouraging. I, I, I believe that they've given it their all. I believe that. But it says that it couldn't, it, they couldn't do it. Jesus says, you unbelieving generation. Hmm. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So it's clear that something was missing. It's clear by Jesus' rebuke that there was something that they were not doing the right way in this area. So they brought him to him. The Spirit sees Jesus. The Spirit sees Jesus. And he throws the boy into a convulsion, into a seizure on the ground. Wouldn't that be awesome? If that same kind of power rested in you and I, where when we walk into the presence of spiritual things, people, things begin to manifest because of the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us. I think God wants to get us to that place. I do. Where our sheer presence causes the darkness to tremble. He asked the father, how long has he been like this from childhood? The father said, and it goes on to describe all these conditions. Um, basically, Jesus just, Commands him to leave. You deaf and mute spirit, calls him by name. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. One simple command. Spirit shrieks. One last seizure and finally comes out. They think he's dead. The kid's laying on the ground, lifeless. Jesus picks him up, pulls him up here. After Jesus had gone indoors, though, his disciples ask him privately, why couldn't we do this? Jesus, we said the same words that you did. We spoke with the same authority that you did. We had the same tone of voice that you did. Right? We, we named him by name just like you did. Why couldn't we do this? And Jesus says something very unusual. He says, this kind can only come out by prayer. And often other translations will say, and fasting. This kind meaning there is something unique about this kind of spiritual oppression that takes a greater level of engagement than simply speaking with the authority that we have in that moment. Do I fully understand this? No, I don't. But I take Jesus at his word. And I also look at the context of this verse because what happens, what's happened in the moments before? Where was Jesus in a place and a posture of? Prayer. Go to the beginning of that chapter that we're reading right here. He'd just come down from a mountain. What was he doing up there? Spending time with the Father and his disciples in a posture of prayer and a posture of intimacy. 
Maybe he was fasting. We don't know. But he comes down out of that kind of time with the Father, and he just knows this is a different kind of spiritual attack. Prayer and fasting is the antidote for this. And there's a whole lot more to teach about, about spiritual warfare. We're not going to get into that now. But I know that one of the things that God is asking us as a church to prepare for is deliverance ministry. Empowering people to walk in, in this, kind of, this kind of power. To break, open, um, to break open strongholds in the spiritual realm. And prayer and fasting are the fuel that, that, that sort of bring that to light. Real quick story. How much time do I have, by the way? What time is it, Megan? What, what time is it? Oh, perfect. I got like an hour. Good. Okay. Just kidding. <laughs> my, my first encounter with the, with the, with the, with the demonic, this was, this, was a, this is a crazy story that just got my attention. This was 20... Um, let me see, 1995, so 25 years ago, I'm in Wilmore, I'm a college student at Asbury College, and there's a, there's a conference, a Randy Clark conference that's come through, a Light the Fire conference, meeting there at the United Methodist Church, and I'm a college, and I'm like, I'm, I want to go and check this out, so I go to the service, and the service is good, it's powerful, you know, Randy Clark ministering and all this stuff, and then they invite people that need ministry, that need prayer, to go down to the basement of, of the church. And if you've ever been to Wilmore United Methodist Church, you know, it's a great big place, but down is the basement. It's kind of this catacomb-style basement, you know, <laughs> no natural windows. So there were several hundred people down, down there just getting ministered to one variety or another. People praying on he- praying for getting, uh, praying for healing and seeing all these other kind of things. And I was just, um, I was kind of just watching and, and walking, you know, I, I to be honest, I wasn't seeking my own. I just wanted to watch. Um, I, didn't, I, didn't know, I didn't know what I was, I don't know. Anyway, so I just was kind of watching and just soaking up this. I wasn't skeptical at all, you know. I was just amazed at the power of God. And I remember walking by, and there's this cluster of people praying in the corner. And I could see that the individual they're praying for was um, a young girl, you know, college age, seminary age, whatever. And she was Asian. Um, and I don't know why, but I, I, I didn't know her, but I knew that she was, you know, not, um, she was not American. She was from Asia as a student over here, um, you know, so English. And I hear them begin to speak with this girl, you know, um, and whoever is leading this is sort of directing these questions to, this, to the spirit inside of her. Tell us who you are. You know, how did you get, how did you enter into her? And the, the, the spirit is speaking English, but all of a sudden the spirit flips and begins to speak a totally different language. Total, absolute, 100% fluent Spanish. I was like, what just happened? I know this girl does not speak Spanish, right? Yet here she is with her mouth coming open and this spirit is spewing hatred out of her mouth in fluent Spanish. And what's awesome is that the ministers knew Spanish, right? So they were able to begin to speak to him in Spanish and bind and cast him out. It was a diversionary tactic on the, on the part of, of the particular spirit inside. But I just walked away going, there is something that I have never seen before. There's a reality that I have just never encountered before. There is a power that is real that I have never encountered before. 
spiritual oppression, prayer and fasting can break those chains. And as a church, I want us just to engage this, not flippantly, not with a sense of glee, but with confidence in the power that God's given us. All right? Okay, third one is this. God deliver us from the scheming of others. The scheming of others. Sometimes we need this. Sometimes we are in the crosshairs of other people or other groups. And the word has been full of people who cry out to God for deliverance from the schemes of others. David's psalms are full of those. A lot of his psalms were written during times of being on the run from his enemies. And he writes those and he says, God, save me. Save me from the hand of my enemies. Save me from the hand of my accusers. The psalms are full of those kind of things. Um, Daniel you know, has, has, has an incredible story of praying and fasting because he you know, was in, this, in the, the scheming of these men around him to, to um, basically to end his life for his faith in his God. Daniel has three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, same kind of story. Let me read you two accounts, though. One from Esther and then one from the New Testament. Esther is, a, 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 basically the whole story is this, the scheming of others. And prayer and fasting, God brings deliverance to the nation through Esther. Uh, so uh, I, I won't, I'm not going to recount the entire thing, but, but, but basically Esther and her people, they are um, living in this time of exile in, in, in Persia. And there is a scheme on the account of some other Persians to annihilate the Jewish people. And word gets to Esther about this through her uncle Mordecai. Mordecai says, Esther, you, you're, you're the queen, right? You can go in and speak to the king and put an end to all this. You can appeal on behalf uh, for, for mercy and save your people. You know, when Esther's here, she, she, this is what she says, Esther chapter tw- uh, 4. She says, when Esther's word, she wrote back and said, and said, listen, you don't understand, Uncle Mordecai. I can't do this. Nobody can go into the king's presence uninvited. The penalty is death for that. And she says, I, I, I'm just a nobody. I may, be, I may be married to him, but I am a nobody. I can't do this. Find another way. Esther 4, beginning in verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance from the Jews will arise from another place. Uncle's got some faith. But you and your family's fa- your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Uncle Mordecai says, maybe this is prophetic. Maybe God put you in that place because he knows that this season of the scheming of others is going to require somebody to be here to bring about deliverance. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. She says, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night and day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I'll go to the king. If I die, I die. She says, fast and pray three days. She knows that there's going to be power in the praying and the fasting of God's people. She says, I'm willing to do it, but not without prayer and fasting. She goes, story works out just fine. It's an incredible story. Uh, Acts chapter 12, a similar situation. Peter is put in prison again. He's in prison a lot. You know, 
We don't talk about that being part of the Acts story. We like the Pentecost. We don't want the prison, though. Anyway, he's in prison again for preaching the gospel. Um, word gets out to, uh, um, well, let me read just verse 12. This, or, or, I don't even know what verse it is. I don't have it here. Let me pull it up. Acts 12. Um, he's basically put in prison. Um, after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Sixteen soldiers guarding Peter. Sixteen professional soldiers guarding this man. What kind of threat does he pose to the Roman Empire? Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, y'all say, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Come on. Peter's in prison, but the church is praying. Peter's surrounded by 16 professional soldiers, but the church is praying. Peter is about to be tried. I doubt it's going to be a fair trial. I doubt he has a defense attorney. I doubt it's impartial. His days are numbered, but the church was praying. This is so awesome, you guys. And this goes on to tell this story. The night, bef- the night before Herod. Why can't God do things a lot sooner than the night before? I don't know. It makes us wait until the 11th hour. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. That's faith right there. I'm not sleeping if I'm about to die the next day. Peter's like, oh, I'm tired. Let me get some Z's. Hey, let me, let me lay my head on your, on your shoulder there, buddy. He's sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Two soldiers between them, two at the entrance, the other 14 maybe surrounding the building. Who knows? Doesn't matter. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. I love this. Emma, don't get mad at me if I kind of like poke you in the morning, you know. This is, this is what the angels do. Come in and kick him in the ribs. Hey, Peter, get up, buddy. That's right. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Get up quick, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Why? Because the church was praying. This is why. Angel says, come on, we're going to go. Put on your cloaks. And they, they, they just leave. 16 guard, they just leave. And here's the crazy part. So they're making their way. He's going to go where the church is. Where can I go? I need to go where the prayer is. I need to go where my people are. Uh, verse 12, when this had dawned on him, basically the Lord said, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were what? Praying. He knocked on the door. A servant named Rhoda came to the door. She recognizes Peter's voice. She's so excited, she doesn't even open up the door. She runs back and tells everybody, guys, you'll never believe it. Peter is here. And they said, Guys, Rhoda, stop. You're out of your mind. It has to be Peter's angel. Now, now hold on a minute. How familiar is this church with angels coming and knocking on the door all the time? 
apparently it's a common enough occurrence that it doesn't even bother them to get up and answer the door. They're like, don't worry about that. That's just Peter's angel. Like, what? Are you kidding me? And they go and know it's Peter at the door and he comes in. And I can just imagine this incredible reunion as they say, Peter, we were just praying for you. And he says, I know you were. I was sleeping and you guys were praying. And then this angel comes and here I am. There is power in prayer and fasting. It breaks the schemes of others. It tears down the scheming of others. We go to war not against flesh and blood. We go to 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 war in the spiritual realm. And And our weapons are worship and prayer. Amen? All right, last one. God, deliver us from impending disaster. Y'all say amen to that. Impending disaster. God, deliver us. Jeremiah 18, 7 says, If if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. Y'all listen to this. God says, If at any time... In the days to come that I say I'm going to destroy a nation, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, listen to this, I will repent of the evil I intended to do to it. All right, y'all, heads are about to explode. Boom! God can repent. Doesn't mean that he's sinned. Repent means what? A change of mind, a change of direction, a 180. And God says, for the record, he's saying, guys, for the record, let it be known now that if I institute the wheels of judgment on a nation, if I set in motion my wrath, and that nation turns from its ways, I'll hit the button and I'll stop everything. That's good news. That's the heart of God. Keep in mind, the heart of God is not just passive acquiescence to continued willful rejection of his law. God's heart is also justice and righteousness. And through Scripture, many times when people are facing a crisis, they go to prayer, they go to intercession, they go to fasting. They say, God, please relent. God, y'all, that's the entire story of the entire New Testament. The whole history of Kings and Chronicles is this one big cycle of judgment, repentance, forgiveness, judgment, repentance, forgiveness. That's been the history of God's people from the very beginning. It hasn't changed. And Israel was meant to see a connection between what is happening in the natural and the political realm, a connection between that and the judgment of God. Is it possible that we have ignored that? That we think God has no interest whatsoever in the affairs of our nation? We do it a disservice if we think so that God will not step in and orchestrate the, the, the goings of our world 
for our own good and for his glory. He will do it. Nations do not stand forever. Especially nations that live with affront, with an affront to God's law. But prayer and fasting can turn the tide of national, of impending disaster. And it's interesting that my notes here, and I, I, we, we did this teaching 15 years ago at a church, 28 days of prayer, the same thing, the door, all of this, and even my notes here are very similar. And my last two things are talking about national days of prayer, right? John Quincy Adams, uh, John Adams, rather, in 1799 called for one. Listen to what he says. He says, he called upon Americans to fast and pray for their nation, for he believed, this is John Adams, that we had committed many offenses against, quote, the most high God. He implored the people to confess these sins, to repent of the condition. His plea was that the nation would recognize that our licentiousness and impiety were offensive to God and had become ruinous to mankind. I love our nation. I do. I'm so thankful that we're here. But I'm afraid that we're feeding the world a diet of godlessness. Sixty-four years later, Abraham Lincoln surveys the scene. He looks at the carnage brought on by this great war between the states. He calls for the same thing. He says there's a need to pray and to fast. He considers all that's taken place, and he remarks this. He says, may we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. And we look at that now and we say, oh, that's just simple-minded. That's just old-fashioned thinking. He probably thought that the earth was flat. He probably thought that we got germs from, you know, imbalanced humors. God hasn't changed. His law hasn't changed. Can prayer and fasting bring deliverance from impending disasters? Yes, it can. I believe that 2020 is a year of revival. It also may be a year of judgment. I don't know. I pray not. I pray that this is a wake-up call that simply gets the attention of God's people and we begin to shift and to turn. I'm not speaking to you, King's Church. I'm not speaking to individuals. I'm speaking to the body of Christ in our nation. Do you hear me? All right, Brian, come on up. Let me close with this, Isaiah 58, 6. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? Isaiah 58 is all about the people of God saying, God, look at us. We fast, God. Look how great we are. You know, we say no to all these things, and we, we come in, and we have these sacred assemblies and these, these great things that we do. Aren't you proud of us? And God says, no, I'm not proud of you. You may be fasting, but look how you're treating people around you. This is offensive. And he says this in Isaiah 58, 6. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? 
to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke. God says, that's fasting that honors my heart. I want fasting that sets people free. And Jesus comes along then. In his very first time, in sort of in this public ministry in the synagogue, he's reading the scroll of Isaiah, and he says the same thing. He stands up and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. King's Church, put yourself in that. You have been anointed for that. I have been anointed for that. We are meant to be agents of deliverance to our community. And by God's grace, we can do it. We can knock on the door and God's going to say, come on in. I'm so glad you knocked. Freedom from habitual sin, freedom from spiritual oppression, freedom from the schemes of others, freedom from impending disaster. I believe God wants to bring us to greater places of freedom. I do. I pray that for you guys. I pray that for people watching on Facebook. We want to engage those things. This is not a place of shame at all. This is not a church of shame. All of us have, those, have had those or have those chains around our legs. There's no shame in that. But God doesn't want it to stay there. You know. Hey, would you stand up with me? I want to pray. We're going to just have some worship and ministry time here at the front. If we can pray for you, if I can pray for you, Megan, Chuck, any, any of our others here um, can just pray for you. Maybe one of these connected and hit home. Maybe you want some deliverance from a certain area. We've been praying and fasting for a while. We're going to keep on doing it this week. But if you want somebody to pray with you, come on up here and we'll pray with you. All right? Let's worship and sing. Father, we love you today. You call us sons. You don't call us slaves. You made a way for us, Lord God. You made a way, Lord. You're a God, you're a God who delivers. You're our deliverer. You're a way maker, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you, God, for setting me free. Thank you that you offer freedom to all who receive it. Father, we just proclaim that today over your church and over your people. Pray you would break some bonds today, break off some chains today. Send the, send the enemy on the run. Lord, we're in the middle of a time of praying and fasting. We're not giving up. We're pressing in. Things are getting more intense, and we're going to go deeper in with you this week. We're going to keep saying no to the things of the world and saying yes to you. And, Lord, we sense it. We know that the, the, the attack has ramped up. Many of us have seen it. Many of us are experiencing this, 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 the intensity of this attack of the enemy coming at us. We just stand our ground, say no. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, and he will run away from you. We say no more. This mountain is ours. God, come and do what you do best in Jesus' name. Amen.